I said they're kind of like your religious studies people of the time. They they were interested in various world religions, you know, and and of course they were very much so familiar with the Hebrew religion. And here's a shame. Here's some pie in the face for 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 the the Jews for the Israels at the time. They should be like these magi, waiting and expecting for their Messiah to come. Basically, that's what the magi were doing. They were being they're, they're remembering the stories that were heard from the influence, say from Daniel. And the other prophets and the other good, you know, Jewish boys and girls who lived and spread the stories of the coming Messiah, the King of Israel's coming, the coming Messiah, he's coming. And this is what to look out for. And so they understood the Hebrew scriptures better than most of these Pharisees, scribes, and Jewish religious leaders of the time, who should be waiting in expectation of the Messiah, the King. But yet, no, it takes the this group, the small group. We, we don't know if there are three. Probably not. Probably a larger group than three. Um, and they weren't kings. They were magi, which means they were um, students. They were interested in, um, I mean, they could be interested in astrology, all kinds of different things, but they were interested in religion. They were interested in, in various religions and cultures. And so they wanted to see, okay, what is this king of Israel like? What's he like? Let's go see what he's like. He's due now. And so God used a star, we, which is interesting as well, and we'll see that in chapter 2 as well. Interesting, a star. Again, like with the virgin birth and with Jonah and the whale, God can use natural things in a kind of funky, supernatural kind of way. And he's going to do that here again. And guess what? God has the right to do that, and he has the power to do that, and that's kind of cool and kind of interesting. And there's a lot of, um, read my commentaries on this, there's a lot of conversations about what exactly happened with these stars. Did the star actually move through the, through the, <laughs> through the, the, the sky? I mean, think about what a star is. I mean, from our perspective, they're little twinkly things. But from the perspective of space, specifically from the perspective of stars themselves, they're great, ginormous, you know, masses of energy. You know, and so it's not likely that a star is going to be flying through the sky like that. Maybe some other object, um, you know, we, we call um, a meteor as it enters into the um, atmosphere and burns and grows a tail, uh, you know, a shooting star. So maybe it was something like that. Not saying it was a shooting star, but God could have done all kinds of different natural things to give the appearance. And that's what the, the Bible talks about. It talks about there was an appearance it wasn't an actual star that maybe moved, but it could have been an appearance. Maybe it was an actual star they're looking at, but the way it was, and in looking at the scriptures, and, and they were stargazers as well. You know, so they, they, they had reason to believe through the time, the seasons, and whatnot. And so whatever it was that God did do, he managed to bring these fellas through scripture, through miracles, through times and seasons, and being prepared. Just like how today we have a times and a seasons, and that's the end times that, you know, that the Bible talks about. And in the end times, Jesus will return. Just like how here there was a time and season, they, they, they looked at the environment, they looked at the world around them, and they said, oh, this is time for Jesus. Just like today the church should be doing the same thing. Look at the world around us. Wow, it's definitely time for Jesus. But here we go. These Gentiles, these non-Jewish, these foreigners, we can already learn from them. They had this sense of knowledge that superseded 
the, the, the religious leaders of the, of the time, and the, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the scribes, they should have been prepared. But instead, as we see, they're going to come, and they're going to cause a big uproar. Uh, because, um, well, we'll see, verse 1. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, there's a gap of approximately two years between chapters one and chapters two. Other gospels deal more of Jesus' you know, infancy. But Matthew talks about um, the, the time of, of, of Mary's conception in preparation of Joseph and leaves it at that, basically. Now we jump about approximately two years down the line where he's now a young boy. So he doesn't deal with, the, and so the idea, of course, the nativity of the three wise guys coming to a baby, that's, he, was, he, was, he was about one, one half, two years old. So he, and he was living in a home in, in, in Bethlehem. So, so this is quite some time passed here. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, so there's the other character we're going to deal with. We've got the Magi, you know, the wise guys, whatever you want to call them. And you have King Herod, uh, who was known for being ruthless in his politics, ruthless in his in manipulation and control. He's a tyrant of a king. He's the other character. And this King Herod would be like a type of Satan. I mean, he wants to, he's used by, I believe, demonic influences to thwart the plans of God. And he wants to see Jesus die. Just like how Satan, you know, wanted to use Egypt to captivate the people of Israel and to kill and to you know, and, 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 and how God pre- preserved Moses and how the Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses and all the babies, you know, two years and younger. Very similar to what we're going to see here. All the babies to be killed from two years and younger, the approximate age in which Jesus should have been. We'll see that in a second, though. So here's King Herod. You know, this, he's the bad guy. Here's the, he's the villain. <laughs> and then the Magi from the east. And they come to Jerusalem in verse 2, and they ask, okay, guys, Everybody should be up on this one, right? We're all prepared for Jesus, right? Where is he? Where's Jesus? Right? Right, guys? Where's Jesus? You know, where's... where's well, he didn't, they didn't call him Jesus. They said, where's the one uh, who has been born the king of the Jews? Now, that's an offensive question to ask, especially for Herod, because Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. Because after all, he was tetrarch. He was, he was responsible for Palestine. He was responsible for the, the, the region, the area of, of the Jews. So he was, and he saw himself as the king of Jews, and he worked really hard killing a lot of people and fighting a lot of nasty wars to be the king of Jew. Now, he's very old at this point, but still very frustrated. He worked very hard, long, hard, cruel life he lived to secure himself as the king of the Jews. And now he's got these foreign boys, <laughs> these guys from the east saying, okay, where's the king of the Jews at? Looking at Herod and looking around. Oh, this must have really made Herod upset. And indeed it did. Verse three, so when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, rightfully so, because he's like, who's threatening my throne? Who's, I mean, at this point, it was very common to see unrest between Rome and its authorities in, in the Israelites, the Jewish, you know, you know, there was constant revolts, like the Maccabean revolts, and all these revolts, and all these fighting and conflict. It was very common to see an uprising. And so the last thing the King Herod wanted to see again is yet another uprising. Oh, great, who's the new king? Who's the new uprising? Who's the new military threat against Rome? I mean, this is a very turbulent area, very turbulent times. And so he was not very interested in hearing about another uprising. So he heard this and was disturbed. Well, I guess we're going to have to go to war again. I guess we're going to have to chop some more heads off. 
And then all Jerusalem. So see, not only was Herod upset because there's a threat against his throne, but, but, but Jerusalem was very concerned as well because they're like, we don't want to be killed. <laughs> we don't want to be subjected to more cruelty. So people were not happy. They're like, come on, finally, we've got peace. King Herod's a bit mellow just now, and things are a bit safe for us just now. Leave it alone. No more rattling cages. Just leave the peace alone. But, you know, God likes to shake our cages sometimes <laughs> because he's doing something, you know. And sometimes he needs to knock us out of our safety zone, our peace zones. And so here comes these magi sent by God. God told them, go. And they go. And they're there. Where's the king of the Jews? Where's the king of the Jews? So this made everybody quite upset and quite concerned. And so in verse 4, he called together, this is Herod speaking. Herod called together all the peoples, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. So these are the people, the Jewish minds, the people of the know. They should know what's up. And he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So the Magi didn't know where he was to be born. They just knew, they had a fragment of information, but enough to know that he was to be born. And they knew the general area to go to. So they show up. And then so all these Bible scholars at the time, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they get all their scriptures together and they, decide, they determine, decipher through biblical prophecy and through the Old Testament, that he is to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, which is exactly where he was born and where he happened to be living at the time. So again, God was pointing to Jesus and all these things. And then they, they, they quote some scriptures, which is very helpful in verse 6. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, uh, you are, um, or the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler. So, again, we saw last week that Jesus came from that line of Judah. And we see here now that uh, it's going to be in Bethlehem. And out of Bethlehem, through this genealogy of Judah, comes a ruler, a ruler, so a king. Somebody to rule, somebody to govern, somebody to lead his people. A Messiah, a Christ. And this is beautiful, but he's going to be different than Herod. Because Herod was a ruler, but he was a tyrant. This ruler is different. This Jesus, he's a ruler, but he's not a tyrant. He's a shepherd. Now think about that. Absorb that. Put that into your mind. The ruler we lead, or who leads us, we follow, is not a ruler who's a tyrant, who is self-centered and self-glorifying. He is a loving, sacrificial, giving shepherd. He cares for his people. And this is the kind of rulers I think we would want to have. <laughs> and that's Jesus Christ. He's a ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel. And then verse 7. So Herod called the, 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 these magi together secretly this time. Secretly, shh. He's, got, he's a crafty one. He's got some, he's a crafty guy. Don't be trusted. Magi, be careful. Be warned. This guy, he's got some tricks up his sleeves. The guys, come here, talk to me quietly here in secret. And, uh, and he found out from them exactly the time. So exactly when did this star appear? When, 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 when did this happen? So we can kind of know roughly the age of my enemy. <laughs> That's what he's looking for. So when did the star appear? couple years ago, hmm? okay, so a year and a half, whatever, okay. So what we'll do is we'll be safe. So we'll expect he's about two or, or younger. And this is important information for this crooked guy. So verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, okay, now go be my spies. 
Go spy out the land. And of course, he's manipulating them because they want to go and find out. They're information seekers or researchers. In fact, they were even wanted, they're interested in worshiping him. They're open to worship any kind of God and king or whatever. And so if Jesus was a kind of God or God a king, they're open to worship him. But their intentions are true. As bizarre as they may be, they wanted to see Jesus. They're excited about him. But Herod's intentions were not very honest. Oh, go find out where he's at. This, this little two-year-old boy, how cute, how lovely, the king of the Jews. In his mind, this is the enemy. I want him dead. And so they go to Bethlehem. And he says, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Liar. Again, he's a deceiver. Just like Satan's a deceiver. He's a hypocrite. He has no interest in worshiping him. He wants him dead because he's a threat to his throne. Even a child. I think it's just the idea. And plus, Herod has killed a lot of people. At this point, he's just lost his mind. He's lost the plot. So in verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Again, they saw this, this leading of the God. And like I said, it could have been a lot of different things. There's a lot of ideas and, and, and theories about what exactly, but we could only really be sure and trust what, what, the, what the gospel writers put down for us. And so this thing that looks like a star, appears to be a star, let it be a star or not, they were overjoyed. And it was clear. It was, it was clear. It was obvious. It was a, a clear indication, a pointer, that put them into a place where it appeared not above a major, not above a stable, but above a home. At this point, they lived in a home, a proper home, okay? And in verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. Isn't it interesting? Again, you know, here's Matthew trying to appeal to the Jewish mentality, Jewish mind, and yet here's the Messiah. The first instance, first, this is the first appearance of Jesus in the whole New Testament, Right here, bam. Here we finally see Jesus. We hear about him a lot, but finally we see him. He's a boy. In the New Testament. Now, because Matthew happens to be the first book of the New Testament. And what's happening here? He's being worshipped. That's a cool thing. But look who's being worshipped by. Foreigners. Gentiles. Strangers. Isn't that interesting as well? His people are walking around him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he lived in a good Jewish town, in a good Jewish village, in a good Jewish country. And they're walking around oblivious to his very existence. But here are people traveling far, far, prepared, researched, prepared, understanding where the king of the Jews will be. And here they are, the first instance of Jesus being worshipped. Something we did just this morning, a half hour ago, done by foreigners, Gentiles. So they opened their treasures, that gifts, gold, incense, and myrrh. And of course, these, these, these three things are, are, are quite poetic in themselves. Gold. Gold is used a lot to demonstrate. It's very common metal, we know. But, but in the Bible, as well as nowadays, it's, it's, it's tied into to royalty because it's a precious metal and you know, usually reserved for royalty you know, who can afford or have the power to obtain <laughs> this precious metal. You know, King Solomon was described as having so much riches, so much gold. He was the richest man of his time. Gold. Royalty. He's, Jesus is our king, and a king deserves gold. And incense, this is interesting, what's, this, this incense is called frankincense, okay? And frank um, in, in the Hebrew means pure, pure, pure incense. Or even closely um, translated would be white, 
white, because pure white. And this is, is a lot of times is attributed to God, who's pure white, pureness. God, pure, holy, no tarnished, no stain. And that's, so this is, this is resembles, and this is an acknowledgement of, of his deity. Here's some, and also we see throughout all the scriptures, like when, when worship happens and prayers, it's like incense coming up. So just like incense, it's a sweet smell that goes up, up to heaven, up to God. And so this, 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 this is interesting how we've got this kingship, this deity, but also this pure humanity in Mir. Mir is never attributed to God. In fact, Mir was used for several things. Uh, it would kill pain when mixed with wine, you know, uh, and it, it, God doesn't feel pain, you know, it's, it's for commoners. You, you're hurt, you're suffering, you have some wine mixed with Mir. Okay, it's it's used to it speaks of mortality. It's used to preserve bodies when they're dead for the for the for, for the tombs, um, and also it, it was used to for deodorant. Basically, you, you stink, you stink. Your bed stinks, so they'd put it in your bed. Your your body would stink, so you would put it in your clothes. It was it was, it was deodorant for the time. So it's it's a point. It's 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 it mere, to me when I see I think of humanity. I think of mortality. You know, our bodies are daily corroding. That's why they're stinking all the time. And, and so we cover ourselves with, with, with fragrance. You know, our, uh, you know we, we, we get sick, we get hurt. And so, you know, we get pain. So we have this, this, the pain-killing you know, side of things. And then, of course, we die. Mirrors, a burial spice. So there we go. These three things. God, Jesus, rather. Gold, king, incense. God, mere human. And verse so having been warned in the dream, this is again going back and speaking of the these, these magi who are to worship Jesus. They're being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Okay? Don't go back to Herod. Isn't it interesting? This is like three or four times we see God using dreams. Before Jesus came, one of the very common ways that God would speak to prophets is through dreams. We'll see it even as early as Joseph and Daniel. Dreams are constantly used. But they seemed to stop being used so much when Pentecost came because Jesus came, you know, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and now he speaks to us in a more direct fashion. And the word is a big part of that. And we're grateful of that because it's a bit more clear, a bit more straightforward. Dreams are, can be a bit hazy. You know, it's like when you have a dream and you wake up, what was that all about? Aren't you glad that God doesn't speak to us through dreams anymore? And now he gives us this word, and he gives us the Holy Spirit and a, and a good, healthy consciousness. But here he used dreams. Okay as weak as they may be, and, and they're like, whoa, let's not go back to Herod, we need to go home, and we need to take a different route so that we won't get caught out. So verse 13, so when they had gone, an, an angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream as well. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod, which was only about a year or so, because he was old at this point. And so uh, was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Again, we see more verses here, proof text of the Bible and Old Testament, that they should be knowing these things. Um, and again, appealing to the Hebrew mentality, um, using their scriptures. So in 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted, Indeed, he had been outwitted. And this is the demonic side of things. This is where he is indeed the type of Satan. He, he was outwitted by the Magi, and he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in the surrounding areas who were tier, two years old and under. 
in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. See, he used information because he knew his enemy. He was sourcing him out. Bam. He knew his age. He knew the area. And he's going to go for the attack. And if he can't get Jesus alone, he'll take out all of his peers. And that is wickedness. That is just vile. It's demonic. It's Satan. Satanic. So, verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Sad verse, this one here. A voice is heard in, in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so to finish up in verse 19, so Herod finally dies. And then the angel Lord appears again to another dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up. Because you see, they may have been comfortable in Egypt for a while because Egypt's not too bad a place to live. And they were safe, safe from this tetrarch, safe from this tyrant. But you know what? Jesus' ministry wasn't to be safe. He needed to get back to work. Even as a small child, he needed to get back and go home and to minister to his people. So get up out of Egypt and go back to the promised land. This is where he needs to be. So get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were um, trying to take the child's life are dead. So what do they do? Again, obedience. God speaks. We follow. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that um, Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Again, because of the relation, you know, he thought, oh, great. What's going to stop him from trying to kill Jesus? Because after all, Jesus is the king of the Jews. So, again, being warned in a dream, <laughs> there's a, I think the sixth instance of a dream speaking again, he withdrew um, to the district of Galilee. But even God knew that this was going to happen. And this is the beautiful thing about God's knowledge. He sees these things, and he even said this is going to happen in the Old Testament. Because verse 23 says, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And we know Jesus being Jesus of Nazareth. And that's how Jesus was going to be known. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. So again, we see the prophecy being fulfilled. In this particular chapter, we see a tyrant. We also see some faithful foreigners. Uh, but it's all about Jesus. Next week, we're going to be introduced to a new guy, John the Baptist. Very interesting fellow. Very interesting fellow. And then, of course, we'll see Jesus begin his ministry. And then things are going to start getting really intense because we're going to be learning about baptism and what happens after baptisms, the big temptation. <laughs> and then after that, Jesus is going to start preaching. And when he starts preaching, boy, yeah, he's going to blow the walls down, guys. Mm-hmm.